Father, thank you. I have the great joy and privilege now, Lord, of opening your word, but it's a serious responsibility too. There's nothing, Lord, I can tell others about you that you haven't taught me, and I can't do that at all. I certainly can't do it well unless you help me. So help me. I need you. And Lord, we all need to hear the topic of today's sermon. Give, us, give me grace, Lord, to speak and others grace to listen and help us all to listen and to obey you. In Christ's name, amen. If you're new to Crosspoint, first of all, let me explain something I've been asked three times this morning. Is what is on the walls, is that the final product? <laughs> yes, that's it. That's what we're going with. We thought it was very nice. No, it's... Uh, that is the beginning stages of acoustic treatment, which has long been needed. It'll look better very, very soon, we trust. Far more importantly, what kind of church is this? This is a church that teaches the Bible. This is a church that uplifts Jesus. We don't think much of ourselves. We don't take ourselves very seriously at all. If you could have been in the first service, you would have known that was true. Um, we, had some, we had some issues in the first service, most of them my fault. But we're a family of faith. And what we're doing here is we're looking to our Heavenly Father who has been kind enough to speak to us and give us His Word, and we're trying to understand who He is, love Him for who He is, and do what He says. And generally what that means at Crosspoint is we pick a book of the Bible and we go straight through it. We often pick two or three and weave them together and do short series in various parts of the Bible. A few months ago I decided... About two months ago, I decided from conversations I was having, from things I was seeing online, from questions I was being asked by people who were new to the church, that we would take a, a shortcut and teach the basics of Christian doctrine. The word doctrine scares people. I can't tell you how many people said, are you really going to teach doctrine? I don't think I like that. Well, thank you for your candor. That, that just gives me abundant confidence that it's going to go well. Doctrine or theology is just Christian teaching organized. It's truth by topic. It's like pulling out a file that has been filled with everything you know about a topic and going straight through that specific folder rather than looking for it all over the library. So we've been talking about first Scripture. How do we know this book that I'm opening? Why is it worth reading at all? What gives it authority? What makes it special? Is it really any different from other books of wisdom that may be found on the shelves at Barnes & Noble? Then for the last few weeks, all we've done is talk about God. And we talked about this tremendous truth that is mysterious at its edges when we really try to wrap our whole mind around it that God tells us all across His Word, the Bible, that God exists in Trinity that there is one God, but He eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And please let me implore you, as I did the first service, not to turn your mind off because this is unfamiliar. If you made it through high school, or even if you didn't, but you've learned somehow to make a living well enough to live here, there is absolutely nothing in God's Word that you cannot understand. You may not be able to fathom it and get all the way down to the bottom of it. I can't. I don't think anybody on earth 
on this side of glory can absolutely and completely understand all that God tells us. My goodness, we don't even understand ourselves. Have you noticed? You can love someone with all your heart and have no idea who they are or what they're talking about sometimes. You can puzzle yourself. Well, we're dealing with God. And God's self-revelation is that He is one, but He eternally exists as three persons, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the first two of those persons, those usually are pretty accessible to people because we all had a father and we all know what a father is or at least what a father should be. And God the Son, well, Jesus has been put into so many movies, comic books, and cheesy Sunday school lessons that everybody at least imagines they know what Jesus looks like. Jesus actually became a human being. He lived among us. We've just remembered his death as an actual human being because the amazing witness of the Bible is that God the Son, who eternally was God for love of us, seeing us lost and separated from God, became one of us and added to his eternal divine nature a human nature. He wasn't pretending to be a human being. He really was a human being. When he was in the manger, he actually was a helpless baby in need of food and nourishment and protection from his, from his mother and from Joseph. But God the Holy Spirit, that's where it gets mysterious for most people. That's the one whose person and whose work is most often either ignored or abused. The way I grew up, the kind of churches I was raised in, the Bible college I went to, we didn't so much abuse the idea of the Holy Spirit as we very politely ignored it and, of it and spoke of Him and spoke of His work very little because we had seen so many shenanigans done in His name that we knew from opening our Bibles couldn't possibly be true. Then if you were raised as I was with the King James Bible, how many of you were raised and grandma or somebody read to you from a King James Bible? All right, a few of you. King James Bible says the Holy Ghost. And that created a whole other problem for me as a child because I literally imagined someone under a white sheet with holes for eyes <laughs> that was somehow sanctified or holy. And all these weird, conflicting, childlike images running around in my mind didn't know what much to think of God. It'll take us a little while if we're going to understand who God tells us He is. We have to deal with the third person of the Trinity. We have to deal with the Holy Spirit. For that, as a way of getting into the topic before I start teaching you, I'd just like you to listen to Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit. Open your Bibles with me, please, in John, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, please. Look with me in John chapter 14. If you have a red-letter edition of the Bible where the editor has chosen to put the words of Jesus in red, you'll notice that 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are mostly red. The reason for that is in John chapter 13, Jesus is holding the Passover supper, which became for us the Lord's Supper, which we just celebrated. In these chapters that follow, 14, 15, and 16, he is with the disciples who will remain with him at least for a few more hours before they scatter, fearing for their lives. In John chapter 17, he prays for them. 
And if you want to understand a little bit more about the nature and the essence of God and how the Father relates to the Son, you can read John chapter 17 because that is a place where you can hear the, fa- the Son pray to the Father. And he's not praying to teach or exemplify. It is just the Son of God pouring out his heart to the Father he had always known and always enjoyed, the one he was always with before he became a human being. It is a mountaintop of Scripture. In John chapter 18, he's arrested. And then John painstakingly takes you through the death and eventually the resurrection of Jesus. But I'm telling you all this because in chapter 14, 15, and 16, before he prays to the Father a final time in the presence of his disciples before going to the cross, he teaches them and he teaches them a great deal about the Holy Spirit because they are brokenhearted. He has been telling them through everything, including washing their feet and announcing again his own death, that he will not much longer be with them. And I want you to hear just how natural and relational this is as he begins to promise them that it's actually better for you if I go away because I won't leave you alone. When I am gone, the Spirit will come. We won't read all of these chapters, just selections from them. Look with me, please, first in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Listen to this, Christian. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you eat yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Look now, please, with me to chapter 15, the last two verses, 26 and 27. Jesus, again, here is speaking of the Holy Spirit. But when the Helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. A final reading in chapter 16. Look at verse 7. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Isn't that simple? I'm glad to hear you laugh because that wasn't simple at all. That was deep. That was loving. That was true. But it's not simple. Again, for those of you, and I have been so thrilled. Two people this morning have told me I'm really getting a lot out of my doctrine small group. I really, they keep telling me this. I don't know why they feel the obligation to do so. I was really dreading this, but I'm getting so much out of it. Don't dread any of it. Work at it. Listen to it. Listen to the love and the tenderness in these words. This is the Son of God, an actual human being, using human faculties to speak in the language known to ordinary men. I'm going away, but I won't leave you alone. The Holy Spirit will come to you. The Helper will come to you. The Father will send him. We will send the Spirit to you, and He will remind you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. It is He who we must learn about today. Regarding the Holy Spirit, there are two critical, fatal errors regarding the Holy Spirit. There are two. One is that the Holy Spirit is not God. That is mistake number one. The second mistake is that the Holy Spirit is not a person. All kinds of different religious groups, including cults of Christianity, in other words, cults that answer and deny basic truths of Scripture, such as the Jehovah Witnesses, all have contrary, unbiblical things that are not taught by Scripture, that were not known to the apostles. They mostly center on the person of Jesus, and they often center as well on the person of the Holy Spirit. They deny either that the Holy Spirit is God or they may acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is something like God or God-like, but certainly He is not a person. In other words, He doesn't have mind, will, emotions, plans, purposes. He has no speech and does no choosing of His own. He's something like electricity. Both of these mistakes, whether you deny the deity of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit, both of these mistakes have a single source, thinking of the Spirit as force, or energy. Sympathetically, I can understand that that is an easy mistake to make. 
I just read to you some very simple teaching from Jesus to ordinary first century people. Jesus obviously meant to be understood. It's just that when God is speaking of himself, there's going to be some necessary depth there. And then you combine the fact that when you see the Holy Spirit working all across the Bible, and it's not only in the New Testament, the Spirit is mentioned in the opening words of Genesis at the moment of the creation of everything that exists. When you see the Holy Spirit working, He always works with power so I can be sympathetic. I can sit in the unbeliever or the cult member's chair for a moment and understand. You don't understand that this is God working. You don't believe that this is a personal God working because you see His power and you imagine that that's all he is, that the Holy Spirit is an it, like electricity, like magnetism, like gravity, but certainly not a person. There's so much I could tell you. The hardest thing about this week is to choose just a few simple truths to tell you about the Holy Spirit to replace and to answer these mistakes, these lies, these contradictions. Here's the first. The first truth about the Holy Spirit is all across the Bible, in all kinds of scriptures, beginning literally in the first book of the Bible, we are told that the Holy Spirit has the attributes of God. He is called in the New Testament alone nearly 100 times the Holy Spirit. Many times, as you heard Jesus himself say, he's just referred to as the Spirit, but he is very often called by the full title of the Holy Spirit, and that's very important because holy is not all that God is, but that is absolutely foundational and essential to who God is. Holy literally means in Hebrew a cut above, a separate thing, that God is in an entirely different class. Bear with me just a second. Hopefully this will make sense. You've been impressed by other people many times, haven't you? You ever paid a ticket to see a human being do their thing? Ever gone to the forum? Ever gone to an art show? Ever gone to a concert? Now, unless it's a kid's show where there's not much talent on display, at least not yet, <laughs> if you went to see a literally world-class performer, you paid the money because you wanted to see someone run fast, jump far, play an instrument in a way that you can only imagine doing. But in all of those experiences, all you're looking at is someone who is very much like you. They're much more like you than anything else. They're just better at it. They run faster. They play the piano. They sing in a way that you wish you could. But the difference between the two of you is actually fractional. It's just a rare talent. When we talk about God, God is something altogether different. That's why it says that God is holy. He's separate. He's other. When we imagine that he is like us, we're almost certainly going to make a mistake. Jesus, for love, became one of us and took on our human nature. But the essence, the foundational, perhaps, if I could, separate one of the attributes of God in addition to his justice and his righteousness and that God knows all things and that can, he can do all things. If I could speak only of one of his attributes, his holiness separates him apart. So every time the Bible calls the Spirit the Holy Spirit, that in itself is telling you that he's God. 
these scriptures. I've just listed them. I won't take the time to read them because I'm reading quite a bit today. In Hebrews 9, chapter 14, we're told that the Holy Spirit is eternal. In John 14, 16, Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would be with them forever. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10, and 11, we're told that only the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, that no human being understands another human mind except his own, and so it is with the Spirit. The one who has a total and complete understanding of God, of course, is the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is holy, eternal, all-knowing, and many more attributes that exalt and show His deity, not His likeness to us. A second truth about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. This speaks not only to His authority, but actually of His personhood. You can't lie to electricity. You can use it. You can be surprised by it. You can be burned by it. But you can't enter into a relationship with it based on truth. It can't speak to you, and you can't lie to it. But that's what happened in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 5. It's quite a story. It's one of those rare instances in the New Testament where God in His holiness and in His justice shows little patience and acts in immediate judgment of someone who lied to Him. Their names, if you're a familiar Bible reader, are Ananias and Sapphira. The Christian church was going through a hard time. Christians out of love for one another were giving generously. That money was being treasured pooled together at the church, and people were receiving support according to their need. Ananias and Sapphira, apparently to make much of themselves, to make people think well of them, sold a little plot of property, brought in some of the money, said, this is the whole thing, this is what we got for our piece of land, and God judged them. It's a rare and shocking story because by the end of the story, both Ananias and Sapphira are going to be dead and one of my favorite matter-of-fact parts of the story, it says that the young men in the church took each dead body out and buried them. That had to be the most revived on-fire youth group in the history of the Christian church, don't you think? <laughs> we hope our kids, when they get back from Hume, all 70 of them are really fired up. They won't be nearly as fired up as the youth group in the church of Acts. But listen to what Peter says along the way. There's a great deal of theology here. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Watch. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? To God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit, and in doing so, Peter says, you have lied to God. This is for Christians. The Holy Spirit can not only be lied to, He can also be grieved because, like you, He has minds, He has plans, He has purposes, He exists in relationship. The Ephesians were told in Ephesians 4, verse 30, read this together with me, it'll be on the screen behind me. Let's read the Bible together, understanding that this was written to people who had trusted Jesus that were much more like us than we think. These are ordinary Christians. We then were told this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's a whole sermon here 
But what this tells you is that the moment you put your faith in Jesus who died for you, listen to the Trinity come together. The Father sends the Son because the Father is righteous and just, and He knows that sin will and must eventually be punished by Him because He's too righteous to let it stand. He does not, like men do, ignore evil. So he sends the son to live a perfect, innocent, righteous life in our place. And the son dies on the cross, rises from the grave to keep the promise that he made in the Gospel of John that I read to you a moment ago, that the world will not see Jesus, but you will see me again. Because I live, Jesus said, you will live also. Now, how does all of that come to be? How do you receive that life? The moment you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and, according to the Bible, regenerates you. In other words, gives you new life. Your life isn't improved. You're not remodeled. To use the words of Jesus, you're reborn. It's a common thing these days to mock Christians as born-agains. People don't realize probably that when they mock that particular choice of words, they're mocking mocking the very words of Jesus. Jesus is saying it's not an improved life, it's a new life. It's my life replacing your life. It's my life giving you life after you died in sin. And the one who does all that is the Holy Spirit. See, that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works in unity because God is one, but each one of those persons has, by God's own design, their individual work, their own particular way of acting in your favor in love to you so that you can be saved. To put it in very simple terms, the Father did not die for you. The Son did that. And this says that the Holy Spirit is the one who seals you for the day of redemption. It's a lot of backstory to that, but that would have meant to the Ephesians that one day they would be fully and completely saved, that one day they would belong entirely to God, that one day the life they were already enjoying would be complete and absolute. Sin would no longer be a part of their lives, and the one who did all that is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that sealed you so that when Chris Bailey, who was baptized this morning, he was saved about 10 days ago, he immediately said, what's next? Well, baptism is next, friend. Okay, when can we do that? Do I have to schedule? Who do I talk to? I said, well, you're talking to me. I guess we can do it. So there he was, getting baptized in the first service. About 10 days ago, when Chris Bailey, in his prayer, said to Jesus, I'm turning myself over to you. What a great way of putting it. At that moment, this verse tells me the Holy Spirit sealed him. And God said, he belongs to me. He will continue loving, he will continue living, he will suffer, he will sin, but he is mine now. So the instruction to Christians is, since the Holy Spirit has given you life and sealed you for that day, don't grieve him, don't upset him, don't disobey him. A final truth about the Holy Scripture, I have to hurry. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave us Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Listen to Peter, an ordinary commercial fisherman, talk to you about how you receive the Bible. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words... 
the people who received Scripture and delivered it to other people as the very Word of God, they weren't acting on their own. It's never been given to anyone the prerogative of saying, today I will sit down and write Scripture. Today I will give another revelation of Jesus Christ. No, nobody has the authority to do that because, verse 21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by whom? By the Holy Spirit. So if you've read even two or three different books of the Bible, you'll notice the language is quite different. Hebrews is a whole other thing compared to 1 John. The Gospel of John is not at all like the book of Romans. Why the difference? Because God is using ordinary people, but what is happening is the Holy Spirit, what a word picture, is carrying them along inspiring them, we would say. I'm going to give you a better word straight from the Bible. God is breathing through them, even as he retains their personality, their language knowledge, their personal experiences. God is working in such a way, God the Holy Spirit is working in such a way to give us his own word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Here's the better way of explaining Rather than say inspiration, this is a better way of thinking of it. It's a better translation. All Scripture is breathed out by God. These are all word pictures. Number one Bible reading tip, when you read the Bible, slow down. God is putting his word in writing. He's not leaving it up to mere human impression because humans are impressionable and our minds go off in weird places. Have you noticed? And you may think that you're being led by the Spirit of God, but all that's actually happening is you're sleep-deprived and got a hold of some bad tacos, and your mind is going in a completely different direction. When God gives Scripture, something extraordinary is happening. As he is using these ordinary people, Paul explains Scripture is actually breathed out by God. It's like having the very voice and breath of God telling you what to do, and that Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is one of the things that helps us as we deal with all of God, including the person of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the things that will help us stay true because God will not contradict in your daily life what he has already said in his written word. I'll come to the abuses and the two kinds of mistakes we can make in a moment, but for now, I just want you to see how personal, how much of a person, and how fully God the Spirit is. Two, be the kind of Holy Spirit that has the attributes of God that can be lied to by people, that can be grieved even by Christians, and that can give us His own Scripture. Here's the end. What difference does it make? Have you been sitting there wondering if any of this makes any difference at all? Do you feel like maybe you got unwittingly and unwantedly dragged into seminary? And now somebody who went to seminary is running all over the Bible telling you things that you can see on the page of this Bible yourself and you can see that what he's telling you makes sense because it's right there in the text, but candidly, you don't know what difference it makes at all. Have you been wondering that at all? Please don't say yes, it'll hurt my feelings. My feelings are more delicate than I'd like to admit. But you need to know why this matters. 
Otherwise, we'll be like the theologians of old and the old cliché that argue about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. It matters for a whole lot of reasons. Here's the first. I'll just give you two. It's wrong to treat any person as less than they are. Have you ever felt that somebody treated you as less than you deserved just because you're a human being? You ever felt marginalized or degraded in the eyes of somebody? Maybe it's because of the color of your skin, the language you spoke, your gender. I'm so much in my own head that I only recently realized that one reason my wife likes, if I can remember, to gas up the car is because her experience, as I'm told, is the experience of many women their whole lives is she gets harassed, talked to, creeped out by men at the gas station while she's captive filling up the car. I had no idea that happened. I see women nodding across the auditorium. Why does that happen? Why didn't I know it? Because I'm a dude. Nobody talks to me. But they talk to women, wives, daughters, as objects. It's infuriating. It's maddening. It's always wrong. It's always sinful to treat another person as less than who they actually are. And we're just talking about humans mistreating other human beings. When you reduce the creating God who breathed out God's own word, who gives the life of God, who seals ordinary sinful people and gives them a whole new life so that he says, now you belong to the family of God. When we reduce him to electricity, when we make him feel when we speak of him as something like the force in the movie Star Wars, that is undeniably, unbelievably insulting. If you deny the person of the Holy Spirit, you end up treating him as a force to be controlled. And as we speak of the Holy Spirit, I want to be very careful not to focus on the worst excesses on either side of the aisle as people, Christians, have related to the Holy Spirit and speak of those excesses or that complete ignorance of the Holy Spirit as if it were representative. But if you've seen a few chaotic church services, if you've seen a few very special things on TV, you've probably noticed Christians treating the Holy Spirit not as the holy God He is, but as a force that they can control and manipulate. Often when we were in Mexico, those were not our churches, but I would see churches where Pastors, preachers, self-appointed prophets would do something like make a cupping motion with their hands in the air, and what they were portraying is, I am now taking the power of the Holy Spirit, and they would make a throwing motion across the auditorium, and someone on the other side would fall back as if they'd been hit with a hard-driven baseball in the stomach. And what they were portraying is that this man has the ability to harness the power of God and literally throw him across the room. I don't know those men. I can't judge them. But as said, that seems to me like something that looks like treating the Holy Spirit of God as something like electricity or a force that can be controlled and harnessed and used and manipulated. If you deny the deity of the Holy Spirit, you do something that's perhaps even worse. You insult him as just another creature, someone more like yourself than the holy and eternal God. Now, let's speak of our church, my tribe, 
kind of church as I grew up in, the kind of church this still is. Some may believe the truth of the Holy Spirit, but still ignore the Spirit instead of loving and obeying Him as God. And that has a disastrous effect. Some of us who were raised in very conservative churches, seeing these outlandish things, knowing that people sometimes spoke for the Spirit and claiming to be inspired by the Spirit, and we could tell just from opening our Bibles, just from ordinary common experience, that they simply had to be mistaken. That happens. Happened in this room many years ago when I was commissioned to be a missionary of this church, a man I'd never seen before and haven't seen since was suddenly in the service, and after they prayed over me and appointed me a missionary of this church, he came up to me and said, while those men were praying, the Holy Spirit gave me a vision. You are not to go to Mexico as a missionary. You'll be murdered as soon as you do. Well, I had no such leading from the Holy Spirit. I couldn't find anything in any counselor, in my pastor, in Scripture to validate any of that. So I just, by faith, believed that he was self-appointed or confused. I went on. Obviously, he was wrong. I'm here. Perhaps he meant well. I don't know. I'm not upset with him. I'm just telling you that there's a ditch on both sides of the road. To ignore what God has said in his word on the, wor- on the, sa- on the one hand, forgetting the fact that God will never, con- never contradict and experience in present-day guidance what he's already put in writing, or as a reaction to that, and that's what I had to grow up with and grow up out of growing up, not even hardly speak of the Holy Spirit because we were so concerned to fall into that uncontrolled, chaotic kind of experience. If you ignore the Holy Spirit, you do a grievous thing because you're cutting off part of who God is out of your experience. The one who gave you life, the one who sealed you, the one who guides you, the one who teaches you is being deliberately, purposely ignored because you think it's safer. We dare not do that. Listen to Jesus. John 14, verses 25 and 26. Read this with me. This is a promise from Jesus to his first disciples and to us. Here's what Jesus told us. Would you read it with me? It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus spoke to us. Jesus lived for us. Who's going to teach us all those things? The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus. And the second grievous error, the one we struggle with every day is if we ignore the Holy Spirit, the reason it is clear to do the hard work of understanding who He is and thinking through and bringing into your reading and your prayer life and your choosing and your serving and your giving a clear biblical idea, as clear as you can get it, who the Holy Spirit actually is, is if we ignore Him, the life that the Spirit produces does not flourish in us. Open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read a final section of Scripture before we're done. Galatians chapter 5. This letter was written to people who had come to believe that Jesus wasn't enough. They thought they had to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. So Paul wrote them this whole letter to try to destroy that idea. And then at the end, he pointed forward to the kind of life that God was trying to produce in them through his Spirit. 
Listen to how natural, personal, relational, listen to how close the Spirit is to ordinary Christians, even those that are behaving as badly as these were. Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Can you relate to that at all? You ever do something and wish that you hadn't? Gone to Jesus for the 10,000th time wondering if he can forgive you again? There's a war between the Spirit of God and your old fleshly nature and habits. Listen. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. See if this sounds familiar. From your old life pre-Jesus or our wider culture. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Why am I trying to tell you all this? Because if you ignore the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, you will more lean into the life that Jesus saved you from rather than producing the life that God desires and the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's singular. In other words, you don't get to choose it. You don't get to say, Christian, patience isn't really my thing. Well, if you're saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit, your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control should be day by day growing. And the best thing of all this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit means that you have been saved, you are being led, you are being loved by all of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God loves you. And that is why you must know God in his unity, and you must also understand and appreciate and love and obey God in, his, in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You live by the Spirit, and you're led by the Spirit because, Christian, you are loved by all of God. A final personal soul-searching question. I just read to you what the works of the flesh does. In other words, what kind of life the old nature produces and the kind of life that the Holy Spirit produces. As the pandemic winds down, and by God's grace, we get out of this. Have you seen more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest of it in your life? Or do you recognize more of the works of the flesh? If all of this suffering, if all of this pressure has not been used by God to make you more like his son Jesus, that means that you've not become more like the son because you've been ignoring the work of the spirit. You can't relate to electricity. You can't apologize to it. You can only deal with it. You can only harness it. 
you're dealing with the Holy Spirit of God who loves you, who was sent by the Father and the Son to give you life, to guide you, to save you, to seal you until you are fully Christ. So let's please, church, let's stay in step with him. Let's pray together, shall we? You know this Savior. I know on a day like this, with all the kids going to camp, the series we've been in, it's perhaps likely that everyone here has already trusted Christ, but I don't take that for granted. Is your faith in Jesus, is the forgiveness of your sins a no-so kind of deal for you? Please mark the words. I'm not asking you if you hope so or if you're working on it. I'm asking you, do you know that Jesus has saved you? If not, you can turn to him right now just the way my friend Chris Bailey did and tell him you're sorry for your sin. You can ask the Holy Spirit himself to come and give you the life of Jesus. You read in the Bible, sealed for the day of redemption, sealed until you're completely saved. You can ask God to do that for you today. I pray that you will. And if you do, that you'll let us know through the app, by sending me an email, by filling out the card in your bulletin. But if you're not absolutely certain Could I invite you, please, to make sure right now? And Christian, there at the end it says that we're led by the Spirit, that we live by the Spirit, that we're to stay in step with the Spirit. How's that going? Who's running your show? Who's calling your shots? You or the Spirit? If it's the Spirit, you'll see love, you'll see joy, you'll see peace. You'll see self-control coming out of your life, do you? If not, you can talk to him. You can pray to him and ask his forgiveness right now. Ask the one who's already sealed you, who's already saved you, given you the life of Jesus, to take over again, make you the man, make you the woman he wants you to be. Jesus, I pray that that would be so. I know there's so many people here, Lord, who are reeling and suffering. We're trying to reorient our lives after all that the pandemic cost us. Help us stay in step with you. May our lives, Lord, produce your fruit so that other people would look at us and know that it's us, but know that there's someone else, someone better, working in us, changing us to make us more as you are. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Crosspoint said, amen. Folks, spoke earlier about this being a family of faith. We mean it. We don't want to be an audience. Audiences are overrated. You want to be an audience, TED Talks are awesome. You can hear better Bible teaching than I could ever give you in my life through a computer. That's good. You should benefit from a lot of that. But a church, we're much more. We're a family. So for those of you, especially for the 50% of you who are here, who are introverts, who are hoping I never say hello and I'm not successful in running you down across the parking lot and excitedly like a pug giving you my card. The minute you feel comfy, you want to say hello, you want to get acquainted with me or with somebody else, maybe not somebody as keyed up as I am. I get that. I'll introduce you to somebody mellow, okay? Those of you who are new, and there's a good number of you, you need not only the Lord by the Lord's design, you need at least a few friends here. And I'd love at least to be the introducer even if you won't let me be that one friend, okay? God bless you, love you. Let's stay in step with the Spirit. And when we come back a Sunday from now, 
You'll have a story to tell if you walk out the front door knowing you're loved by the Father, you've been saved by the life of the Son, and you now have the Spirit to guide you. Love you. See you soon.